Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Acts 27. Acts 27. I don't know if you heard or not, but there's a great big old storm that's about to hit the Carolinas either tomorrow or, or early Friday morning. Hurricane Florence is coming. President Trump, he's issued a state of an emergency for North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia, and has called for evacuations, and even North Georgians are in the danger zone. Jeff Byard, uh, the FEMA Associate Administrator for the Office of Response and Recovery. <laughs> you gotta, gotta love these government titles, right? Jeff Byard called Florence a very dangerous storm. He said this is going to be a Mike Tyson punch to the Carolina coast. And by the time it makes landfall, it's expected to be a Category 4 hurricane. Right now it's about, about 400 miles or so out in the Atlantic Ocean. And right now, this is crazy. Its devastating winds of 125 miles per hour are generating enormous waves as high as 83 feet. When it, hit, when it hits landfall, it, it's expected you know, to, to be that Category 4 hurricane. And, and won't even be those, it, it won't just be those 125 mile per hour winds that's going to do damage with this thing. I mean, in addition to, 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 to all the, 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 the wind, this potential storm will bring surges up to six feet in parts of coastline uh, Carolina, including up to 13 feet, listen to that, up to 13 feet surge from Cape Fear north to Cape Lookout. A, a storm surge is basically when the, when the hurricane pushes the ocean up on to land. The hurricane will also produce, I mean, heavy, excessive rainfall up to 40 inches in isolated areas in the Carolinas, anywhere between 6 to 12 inches elsewhere in the Appalachians and the mid-Atlantic region up to 12 inches, 6 to 12 inches in that area. I mean, it's just going to be major wind, major flooding. Experts say that the storm could bring up to $170 billion in damages. They're expecting it to be the most expensive hurricane to hit the continental U.S. It's going to be awful, y'all. It really is. We need to be praying for those people, be praying for that land and ready to, uh, to go help them out, uh, either ourselves to send those that we'll be able to. We've already heard that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention's disaster relief, which is under our North American Mission Board, is already being mobilized, ready to go in and help. And, and we're able to get on the ground there. We as Southern Baptists are able to get on the ground there even before the government can. I mean, it's just amazing what... Uh, what, 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 um, what God's able to do with those men and women to get in there and to make a difference, okay? It's going to be awful, okay? Storms are nothing to be messed with. That's true of physical storms, but it's true also, guys, when we think about the storms of life, right? Metaphorical storms. There are many events in life, guys, that feel like this raging Category 4 hurricane that is threatening to blow us down, to drown out our life, to, to black out the promises of God in our lives. And in one sense, it can chain, chain up our lives with fear and hopelessness. We're going to continue our series tonight, Chain Breaker. And tonight we're going to talk about breaking the chains of life's Storms. You see, when life storms want to chain us up with fear and hopeless, want to leave us devastated, God 
has other plans for us in the midst of that storm. God wants to persevere us. God wants to give us a solid place to stand, a a hope that the storm will not prevail no matter how strong the stormy gale might be. Here's tonight's takeaway. God's promise will prevail even in the midst of the storms of our lives. Amen? Do you believe that? How many of you have found that to be true? Amen. Praise God. Me as well. God's promise will prevail even in the midst of the storms of our lives. And to prove that to you from the Word of God tonight, we're going to turn to Acts 27 in the life of the Apostle Paul when he himself was facing a major storm in his life. Uh, It was a major physical storm. It It was a real storm. And yet he had a promise from God And God persevered him in that to take him where uh, God wanted him to be. Okay? So we're going to look at that here in in just a moment here. So, when you think about some of the promises of God, what are some of those? Let's, Let's brainstorm that tonight. When you think about Scripture... And the promises that God has made to you and me, what are some of those promises? He promises to bless those who bless Israel. Okay, he promises to bless those who bless Israel. And of course, um, to take that a step further, when we hear Israel, we often think about the nation state in, uh, in, in, in the Middle East. But the scripture says that we are part of Israel, okay? So let's don't just think about over there. That's us too, okay? Those who bless the church, who bless Israel, okay? All right, there's that. What else would you say? Peace. Peace, that's right. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What other promises do you think of? What's that? What was it? No more, flooding. no more flooding. That's right. There are lots of them. I mean, lots in the Old Testament, a lot in the New. You know, God has promised salvation to all who believe in His Son. God has promised that all things will work out for the good of His children. God has promised comfort in our trials. God has promised new life in Christ. God has promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has promised to finish the work that he started. He's promised us peace when we pray. He's promised to supply all of our needs. Guys, those are promises, right, that God has made. We, I mean, we, we could go through chapter and verse on every one of those. Every one of those has have a passage of Scripture that we could pull up and look at tonight. Those are promises from God. And let me say this again, God's promise will prevail even in the midst of the storms of our life. And we see that in the life of Paul, okay? We're going to look at four things that happen here in Paul's life that help you and me that illustrate this truth tonight, okay? First, I want you to see here tonight that God made a promise to Paul, a very specific promise to Paul. You see, Paul was on a mission to go to Jerusalem. He 
finally made it there in Acts 21. But not too long after that, not too long after he got there, he visited the temple and some folks recognized him. And they were ready to kill him. They all jumped on him. I mean, a mob rose up, grabbed hold of him, uh, trying, to, trying, to, trying to put him out, right, to take him out. And the Roman guards heard what was going on, and they ran out to see what was happening. And they saw Paul, they didn't know who he was, saw him getting melee, and they grabbed him up, arrested him, and, and carried him away. Before he was taken into the barracks, he was allowed to speak. And what do you think he said? What do you think Paul said that day? Just in summary. Jesus is the Savior. He stood up and preached the gospel, okay? He did. He stood up and preached the gospel. But man, that just riled the, the crowd up again. So they took him on in. And the next day he said, all right, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to bring the Jewish council. We're going to try to figure out what's going on. So he came before the Jewish council and in the midst of that, uh, he kind of played up the Sadducees versus the Pharisees and started talking about the resurrection. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and the, the Pharisees did, and, and, and they got into a fight. And it got so heated there in the council there that they had, again, the, 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 the Roman uh, soldiers had to pull Paul out so that they wouldn't kill him fighting each other. Okay? Well, that night, Paul got a promise from God. Acts 23, verse 11. Acts 23, verse 11. It says this. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an angel? Not an apparition. The Lord Jesus Christ stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so must you testify also in Rome. God made a promise to Paul. You will be my witness in Rome. Well, there were all sorts of plans afoot to try to stop that. All right. The, they didn't know that God had given him that promise, but nevertheless, they wanted to stop him. They wanted to shut him up. All these, these religious leaders there in Jerusalem had plotted to assassinate Paul while he was in custody. And word got out, and, and they got word back to the, to the, to the Roman tri, uh, tribune, and, uh, and he got him out of Dodge. Right? He sent him to Caesarea, to Governor Felix. And there, what did Paul do when he stood before Felix? He witnessed he shared Jesus with Felix. And Felix listened to him and said, he hadn't done anything to deserve death. But Felix was corrupt. So he decided he'd just keep him in custody. And he hoped to keep him there until finally um, Paul would give him a ransom, basically, a bond or whatever to get out. He kept him there for around two years imprisoned. And people came and visited. That's where he was in the Praetorium Guard and, and all that there when you read about in other passages in the Bible there. But a couple years went by in custody or so, and finally, Governor Felix was replaced by Governor Festus as we just work our way through Acts. Look with me at Acts 25, 6 through 12. Acts 25, 6 through 12. Governor Festus came into power here, 
And uh, Paul was still a big deal. The people in Jerusalem still wanted to kill him, right? And, and they saw an opportunity when this new governor came in because Festi- uh, Felix had been, had been basically sheltering Paul. And here comes Festus, and they're thinking, this is our opportunity to get him. And so we read this, Acts 25, 6 through 12. After he stayed among them, this is Felix, or uh, Festus, I mean. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to these charges or to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you've appealed. To Caesar you shall go. God had promised him, You're going to go to Rome and be my witness. And here it is. He had his opportunity, right? To say, No, no, just keep me here in Jerusalem. But he said, I want to go to Caesar. And so God's promise was going forth here. And not long after that, King Agrippa, the king of the Jews at this time, came in to hear Paul there with Festus. Look at uh, Acts 26, uh, verse 30 through 32. Acts 26, 30 through 32. And again, when Paul got before Agrippa, what did Paul do? Everybody say he witnessed, right? If If you hadn't seen the pattern yet. Every opportunity, right? Every bit of this, when Paul gets an opportunity, he, he witnesses about Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, this is a, that, that, that famous passage where, where Festus says, Paul, you've lost your mind. And Agrippa says, Paul, you have almost convinced me to believe in Jesus. Oh, he was so close. And so we read this in Acts 26, 30 through 32. Then the king arose, and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man's doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But you know what? He had a promise from God. That had to come to pass. And so God's promise was going forth here in Acts 27 to bring Paul to Rome. He's about to begin a journey. And we're going to throw the picture of this journey up here. If we have it. Do we have that? Cool. Here's the picture of this journey. Okay? He's down here in Caesarea. And he's got to make it all the way up over here to Rome. And here in Acts 27, we get the story of this voyage and how God keeps his promises against all odds, right? God's promise will prevail even in the midst of the storm. So let's look at uh, verses 1 through 12 here in Acts 27, verse 1 and 2. And if you don't mind, um, every time we read a passage of Scripture, that's great. And then throw back up that map if you can, okay? So Acts 27 
uh, verse 1 through 12. Let me get to it here. Acts 27, verse 1 through 12. We hear the story here. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion at the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship, Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put out accompanied by Aratarchus and a Macedonian, uh, who was a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And the wind did not allow us to go farther. We sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was ready, already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to go out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So here we go. We're about to set sail. They've already set sail. And it was hard going, okay? But it got harder on their way. Because the second thing I want you to see tonight is not only did God make a promise to Paul, but secondly tonight, I need you to see that the storm looked to keep that promise unfulfilled. The storm looked to keep that promise unfulfilled. Acts 27, verse 13 through 20. Listen to this. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind we gave way to it and were driven along running under the lee of a small island called Kuata we, uh, we, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat after hoisting it up they used supports to undergird the ship then fearing that they could run aground on the Sirtis they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along since We were violently storm-tossed. We began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This storm, man, it was a serious storm. I I don't know if it was a Hurricane hurricane Francine or whatever it is. Um, But nevertheless, it it was a serious, serious uh, storm that was about to hit them. Hurricane Florence that was about to hit them here. And it looked like, again, as it says here, that all, all was lost. The promise of God was not going to go forth. You ever been in a situation like that? Man, where whatever it is, the storm is so violent, so strong around you, 
that it looks bleak, it looks hopeless. And the only thing you can think of is that I'm finished, I'm done. This will never happen what God has promised me to happen. The storm looked like it would keep that promise unfulfilled. But I want you to see what God does in the middle of this. Third, you need to see that God assured Paul of his promise in the midst of that storm. God assured Paul of his promise in the midst of that storm. Acts 27, uh, 21 through 38. We're just reading the, the, the story here. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on the same island. When the fourteenth night came, as they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were, being, uh, that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found that they were about uh, 20 fathoms. And a little further on, they took a sounding again and found that they were 15 fathoms. And fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the, the ship's boats into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to not take food, or, or actually he urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken, uh, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea, going down and stopping right there. So God assured Paul that his promise was going to come to pass, that he didn't need to worry he wasn't just going to save Paul. He was going to save the whole ship. 276 souls on the ship. Of course, he wasn't going to save the ship. He was going to save the people on the ship. And then we see finally in this passage here that God made good on that promise. So to finish out here, 39 on down through, uh, through verse 44. Now when it was day... They did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, and on it they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time loosing the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. 
The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, willing, uh, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Now that's not the end of it, right? The promise was what? Where was Paul going to go? Rome. Turns out... He's on the island of Malta. And you can read some more there in chapter 28. Eventually they get off the island of Malta. Let's uh, get down to verse 11. Acts 28, verse 11, and we'll finish up through verse 16. After three months we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after a day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pudioli. They were were found brothers. And and, uh, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And here it is. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Guys, God's promise will prevail even in the midst of the storms of our life. So, tonight... What do we take away from this? I want to give you three don'ts and four do's based on this passage of Scripture. Three three don'ts and and four do's, okay? When the storm hits, and it's going to hit, number one, don't be surprised. Storms in this fallen world are inevitable. They're going to come. Now, they're usually going to hit you when you least expect it. They're going to come out of nowhere, it's going to feel like, okay? But they are inevitable. Don't be surprised. Think about those moments in your life where those storms have raged. And looking back on them, you know that they played a purpose in your life, right? They absolutely did. God loves you. We shouldn't be surprised by this. It's just part of the fallen world, but it's also God, part of God's providence. Secondly, I'd say to you tonight, don't be surprised. But number two, don't try to hold on to unnecessary things. Oftentimes when the storm hits, we want to start clutching things that are around us, right? Things that, that, that we think will, 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 will help keep us afloat, so to speak. Acts 27, verse 18. Acts 27, verse 18. Notice what it says here. It says, Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began to do what? Jettison the cargo. They're throwing stuff overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Guys, listen to me. When the storm hits, material stuff will not keep you afloat. Only God will. You can't cling to anything but God. Don't hold on to unnecessary things. Or maybe we should say it this way. Don't hold on to impotent things. Things that can't save you or sustain you in that season. 
even skip down to verse 38 there, uh, Acts 27, verse 38. We see it again. They ate, and what did they do with the rest of it? They threw it in the sea to lighten the ship. And even in verse 40, what did they do? They cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosing the ropes that tied the rudders. The things that you try to hold on to oftentimes would drown you. Let them go and cling to God with both hands. Third tonight, I would say to you when the storm hits, don't try to abandon the ship. That's what they tried to do, right? You remember that? Look there at at verse 27. Acts 27, 27. Paul's already told them, you're all going to be saved. God's already told me this. But when the 14th night had come, as they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. And so some of them said, i got to get off this boat. And so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms a little farther, and they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And listen to this. As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Don't try to abandon the ship in the midst of the storm. Right? God will protect you. Hold on to him. Cling to him. He will get you to safety. You try to go your own way, or you try to turn from God. It's oftentimes in the storm when you give up hope, you say, God, your way's not working. I'm going to do it my way. And your way will end in destruction. It surely would have for those men. So those are the three don'ts. Don't be surprised. Don't try to hold on to unnecessary things or impotent things. Third, don't try to abandon the ship. But fourth, let's look at four do's. Number four, look for the lee in the storm. Now, did you notice that in, in, in the passage, the word lee, it just kept, kept coming up. Three different times it came up. Verse four, verse seven, verse 16. Do you know what a lee is? I had no idea what a lee was until I began to study for this message. It's the quiet place on the, on the side opposite from which the wind is blowing. That's right. It's the quiet place of protection on the opposite side of the island. They were using the the lee of the island to protect them from the storm. And God will do that, guys. In the midst of your storm, there are lees all around you, a place of protection. Think about in your storms and the storms that you experienced, what have been some of the lees in your storm? Uh, Knowing that other people have gone through a storm similar to yours. Absolutely, that's a huge lee. What else? God's word. God's word, absolutely. Prayer, absolutely. Prayer is huge. Pastors and teachers, sure. Friends, family, all those things, guys. God Himself is the cleft in the rock, right? 
And so there are leads that God will give you to help you persevere, right? When you feel like, I'm, I'm just getting blown over, God will give you that lead that will protect you, to give you reprieve from the storm. So you've got to look for the leads in the storm. Number five, the second do, is listen for the voice of God in the midst of the storm. We see that right here so clearly. They had all given up hope. It says that everybody, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. And then God spoke, right? God spoke to Paul and said, No, you must go. Don't be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God's granted you and all those who sell with you. So take heart, men, for our faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. That's what God did in the middle of that. In the middle of your storm, y'all, God is speaking. God is calling. God is trying to speak to you and to quiet your heart. You've got to listen for the voice of God in the midst of the storm. Number six, you've got to trust that God is sovereign. Trust that God is sovereign over the storm. Listen, our God is almighty. He is. And if he said he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And you don't have to worry, right? Will this happen? If God has promised it, it will come to pass. He does all of his holy will. So trust that God is sovereign over the storm. And finally tonight, what do we do? We act. We act on the promise of God in the midst of the storm. And that's what they did, right? You, the rest of the chapter is all about that, acting out on that promise. It's like when you're flying the airplane blind, what do you do? You read the gauges, right? You, 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 you go with what's true. And God's promises, guys, are true. You march toward those. You keep going toward those. Act on the promise of God in the midst of the storm. I don't know what category of storm you're in right now, if any of you are in a storm. But you will soon, at some point in your life, it's coming. I pray that you would stand on the promises of God because God's promise will prevail even in the midst of the storms of our life. Here's my final prayer tonight. May it be well with your soul as you cling to the promise of God in the midst of the storm. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. 
God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.